Are you ready to live a more free, healthy, and abundant life? Transform your yard into a food forest and create a system for self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable with our friends at Food Forest Abundance. No matter where you're starting from, you can become more self-reliant. And you can take your self-reliance to the next level by becoming a producer of your own food through growing and foraging. And learn how to turn your property into an income-producing source of economic self-reliance. They can help you get off-grid and learn what systems to employ for food, water, and energy self-reliance. And live abundantly and in full connection with your property and what you produce. Click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest and have your own sustainable source of livelihood and become self-sufficient with food forest abundance. Just click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest today. Welcome back host Chris Matthew tonight my guest is Robert Lindsay Milne before I bring him on I have to thank delete me they are a privacy company led by consumer protection privacy and identity theft experts they are passionate about making easy to use privacy solutions for everyday people they strongly believe that the solutions must improve as online privacy becomes more difficult to get they are a hands-free subscription service that removes consumers' personal and private information from the leading people, search, and data broker websites online. Just click that link in the description and check out what they can do for you. And also, please subscribe to Forbidden Knowledge News on LBRY.com. That is our official backup channel in case YouTube decides to just give us the boot one day like they have been doing with other channels. Tonight, I want to welcome Robert Lindsay Milne. He is recognized across the continent as one of the most insightful psychic intuitive counselors of his time. He has traveled the world giving insight with his psychic intuitive sessions to tens of thousands of people. Robert, welcome. How are you tonight? Doing just great, and thank you for welcoming me on your show. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, tonight, we're just going to discuss not only your experiences as a psychic intuitive, but how it all started for you. And you've actually been able to help many people, including a coma patient, which I'm very excited to get into. But I'd like to start first with where this all started for you. I, well, I've been a professional psychic, like doing it for my living. This coming January will be 56 years. I was 15 and a half when I started working at a tea room in Toronto and it was full time. And, and I worked there five and six days a week um, for many years. I have always been really sensitive to energies around me. And for as long as I can remember, I've um, sensed and felt things about people and when I was a kid, like, like when I say a kid, like, like five years old, six years old, I used to get into trouble for, for saying things to people. And I remember one day I came home for lunch. Um, I was either in grade five, uh, kindergarten or in grade one. And I, I remember as I, as I was coming in, I, I remember saying to my mother, 
Grandma Harris died today. Now that would have been about 1954, 1955. Um, but Grandma Harris was actually my great grandmother. And Grandma Harris lived overseas. And I'd only seen her once in my life. And I was about five or six. So, so she was not a part of my thinking in those days. Um, so I came home from for lunch. And I just looked at my mother and said, Grandma Harris died today. And she looked, and she got really angry with me, yelled at me for saying such negative or bad things. And I, I got scolded, and I might even got hit. Uh, so the next night at dinner, there was myself, my sister, uh, my mother, my father. My mother said to my dad, Grandma Harris died yesterday. I thought my dad was going to yell at my mother for saying bad, negative things. And he didn't. And they just talked about it. And I thought, well, what's this about? So other times I would say, you know, Uncle Harold, that wasn't Aunt Sally. Who was that woman? You know, that got me hit for that. Because um, that had happened. Well, I didn't know that Uncle Harold was with a woman he shouldn't have been with. I, I was six years old. I, I, I was just curious, except, except I was psychic. Nobody else in the room knew what he was doing. So I used to get into trouble for things, and I never understood why. Did these thoughts just come to you? or how I, just knew, I, I just knew it. You just knew it. Okay. Yeah, they just, they, just, they, they, they just came to me. And um, there wasn't or usually isn't a whole lot of emotion with it. it the, 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 and it's more of knowing rather than seeing. It's, it's, it's more as in being rather than um, it, it's just simply how I, I, I think. Well, now I know. So... Up until I was about nine years old, I, I, I learned to duck a lot when, when I said things. And one time, and this would have been March in 1958, my father took me to a Stanley Cup hockey game, Boston and Toronto. And um, it was uh, the, 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 uh, uh, at the end of the third period, it, the score was 1-1. And the teams went off the ice um, to, to have a rest for get ready for the first overtime uh, period. When the teams came out to get, you know, just to stretch you know, for the first overtime period, I knew number 17 with the Toronto Maple Leafs was going to score. Game hadn't started, but I knew he was going to score. It was so real to me. It had, it felt like it had already occurred. And, and I was just sort of real excited about that. And, and then, so anyway, they get ready to drop the puck. Eamon, Gary Eamon, number 17, was not even on the ice for, for, the, first, for the drop of the puck. But here it is, Maple Leaf Gardens. Um, I'm nine years old. I'm with my dad. The lights go down, you know, um, and, and the whole arena goes, goes quiet. And the referee is just about to drop the puck. And then it does hit me. Gary Eamon scoring the goal in overtime. And I jump up and start yelling and screaming. And the entire building's in the dark um, and, and quiet. And the whole building looked at me. And my dad said, sit down. And, and I sat down. Um, and the game started. And I knew something was unusual because I realized nobody knew Gary Eamon was going to score. 
couple of minutes later, Eamon came over the boards and a guy named Red Kelly passed the puck to him and Eamon tipped it in the goal and scored the winning overtime goal. And I sat there looking around the arena, the screaming, the cheers, and I realized then other people see things differently. And that was when I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life that day. So it was, it was, I was about nine years old. That's very interesting. Now I'm sure you had plenty of experiences leading up to when you started counseling. Uh, could you possibly oh, talk about, about, about a hundred thousand readings? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe some of the most profound ones, um, like between the time, uh, you, you first realized you had these abilities and when you started counseling. Oh, well, okay. So, um, th that's a great question. So, um, Another one you might might we could sort of get into first though, if you don't mind, and we'll go to counseling. Of course, we can go anywhere you want. Okay, so um, I left home when I was fourteen and a half the first time, and and I lived on the streets, and I survived on the streets using my intuitive and psychic ability to survive. Um, I was from fourteen and a half. I was only on the streets for a few months. And then when I turned 15, 15 um, I, I left and went, left home and went back on the streets. I never lived full time uh, at home again. And um, in those days, I survived, again, using my intuition. My, and it was like a training ground for me. And, and in those days... I was often faced with problems and I was always given two ways of handling it. One way would have been using my intuition or psychic abilities or um, an illegal or immoral way. Most, most times, not 100%, but most times the choices I made were using, to use my intuition and psychic awareness. And it was like a testing ground. There was no right or wrong answer uh, to, to the way I handled something. But what there was, it, 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 it determined the way I solved the problem determined which direction my life would go. Um, so I heard, and by the way, uh, that was in the wintertime too. And I heard that if you worked at the Cozy Tea Room in Toronto, and this was a big deal in those days, the Cozy Tea Room, if you worked there as a reader, you would get, um, you would get, um, if you worked in the afternoon, you'd get a hot, uh, a sandwich, cup of tea, and some cookies, and you'd get paid. And then if you worked at in the night shift, you'd get a hot meal. Wow, I hadn't had one of those in a long time. A hot meal, um, a cup of tea, cookies, and I got paid. So I went to the cozy tea room and applied to work as a, as a reader. I couldn't read tea leaves. I just thought they were blobs in the cup. But what I did, I did a reading for the owner of, this, of the tea room. And I um, just simply held the tea, tea cup in front of me like this. And I did what I normally did. I just talked about, um, well, her name was Mrs. Cox. And I just talked about what I sensed and felt about her. And she hired me. 
And um, that day I, I started, and that's how I got off the street. And that day I, I had, um, I worked both the afternoon shift and the night shift, and I got paid. And that night I had a place to sleep, and the next morning I had a job to go to. And I worked at that cozy tea room uh, until uh, um, I was about 21. And in those days, I worked, most weeks I worked six days a week. And um, in those times, I would see anywhere for up to 30, 35 people in a day. And some days that would be 10. And by the time I was about 21, um, I had done thousands of readings. Um, I had already had that experience and, and had seen just about everything that you could see um, in, in that time period. Um, so I, oh, and then I, at the cozy tea room, and you can interrupt anytime you want, by the way, just jump in, right? Sure, okay. Sure. This, right. So, so at the cozy tea room and in Canada, in those days, it was against the law uh, to do psychic readings for money. Oh, I know. Yeah, guess, when law, guess when that law got repealed? It was called the witch. Go ahead and take a shot at it. What do you think that law got repealed? Oh, man, I couldn't tell you. Okay, well, um, July 1st, 2018. So it was called the Witchcraft Act, and it was brought in in the late 1800s. And this is what the act said. And, and, and every day of my work life, up until July the 1st, 2018, uh, I, I, was, I, I could have been busted. Uh, I, I, I could have been charged and, and, and um, gone to jail. Not for very long, but it could have. Could yeah, been. what kind of offense uh, is it to, to be a psychic there? Well, here, here's what it was. Not that way anymore. Because we, you know, we, they got right. repealed. So here, here's the law. It says, now, now it says, Everyone who fraudulently, and by the way, um, doing any of that stuff was considered fraudulent. Anyone who fraudulently won, Section A, tells fortunes for a consideration. Um, two, uses an occult or crafty science to cure somebody of an illness. Section three, um, anyone who... Um, uses an occult or crafty science to accuse somebody of a crime is guilty of on summary conviction of one thousand dollars and no longer than two no longer than a year, one year in jail but that was written in the 1800s so like a thousand bucks was like major league bread right so um, our current prime minister um, Justin Trudeau, um, he did two things. Well, he did a lot of things. Um, he, he leg on July 1st, 2018, he, he legalized fortune teller telling and cannabis use. So he, that's, that's what happened. Right. In July. Yeah, that's what happened then. His father, by the way, was, was, it was a, a famous Canadian prime minister as well. And his father legalized homosexuality. Um, that was one of his big things. That, well, he did other things too, but that was one of the things that his father did. So, Very interesting. Um, yes. So, so uh, 
in all my career, I never, ever once got busted. I got threatened by police a couple of times, but that was because they wanted me to do something for them. And, and I wasn't, uh, I, I, I resisted. So they, I, I was told that if um, I, I didn't help them, I, they wouldn't let me work in town. So, so I, I did stuff for them. That is very interesting. I'd like to know a little bit more about your abilities. Um, I've had sure. different psychics on, and they all have to se seem to have different types of abilities. Some commune with spirits, some have intuition, uh, some sense things, uh, just um, different types of uh, abilities. I'm wondering, what is what are your abilities and um, is there a certain process that you use and have you gained different abilities as you've, you know, grown and gone along? The answer to that question is yes. So, so just about everything that, everything that, everything that you said in all those questions um, all has a yes answer. Um, have, have I developed over the years? Yes. Um, over my lifetime, like, like, like I said, this is my life's purpose. This is what I have done. Um, this is what I, I, it, it is my life. Um, I made a vow when I was about 21 that I would do a psychic reading or practice doing a psychic reading every day of my life. And I made it for 30 years without missing a day. And, and after, after about 30 years, I decided to miss a day to see what it would be like not to do psychic things. I, I just wanted to experience not doing it. So um, over the years, I've practiced and, and evolved my skills. I don't use a medium. So I, I don't use cards or crystal ball, although I've got cards in a crystal ball, but I don't use them. And I never use them, even though I worked at the tea room and, and you had to do um, tea leaf readings and card readings, and I could not do that. I, I just looked at the people and did the reading. Um, and when I was in my teenage years and early 20s, I participated in psychic experiments with the Toronto Society for Psychical Research and the British Society for Psychical Research. And um, I, I didn't use a medium. I would, I would just simply focus on something and the information would, would, would come through. It, it, that, that's how it works. And when I do readings now, uh, and, and um, I'm 71, and I still work. I, I, well, I still do readings now. And, and I still do about five, between five and 600 readings a year. And, and I've really slowed down from uh, other times. Um, and I use many different skills. People want to ask me, do I channel? Well, well probably. Uh, um, so so am, am I psychic? Yeah. Um, well, what is being psychic? Because I teach people how to be psychic. It's one of the things that I've done. And, and one of the things that I say to people, well, a lot of things. First of all, being psychic and being spiritual is different. Being psychic is a skill an awareness, not a skill, an awareness that all mammals have. All right, almost all mammals have. So, so we're, we're human, so, so we're, we're, we're mammals. Uh, so almost every mammal, every human um, has an intuition. There's probably one person at the end of the spectrum that has absolutely zero awareness. And then there's another guy at the other end of the spectrum from the, that's 100%. Oh, and, and, and the rest of us are in between.
So have you ever been sitting somewhere and look up and you see that someone's just been looking at you and you make eye contact? That, that happens all the time. Well, why would you all of a sudden being in a crowded room, just look over and at that very moment, someone is looking at you? That's because we sense it. That's because our, it's, it's our intuition, it's our instinct. So that's being psychic. Being psychic simply means becoming aware. Um, being psychic means, you know, the Greek root for psychic is psyche, which means mind, soul, or self. If you have a mind, a soul, or a self, you're, you're, you're psychic. So being intuitive, we sense things. Have we ever, have you ever, you know, haven't thought of somebody for a long time and then all of a sudden, um, call. yeah, yeah. Or you're thinking of something about someone and you find out it happens. Right. Yeah. Right. Or you're thinking about somebody just at the same time that you find out that it happened or you find out later that's what happened. Okay. So, so. Almost everybody can do that. From that sense, I practice and practice and practice and develop that awareness. And when I'm teaching people how to be psychic, what I say to them is become aware of what's obvious. When you become aware of what's obvious, more becomes obvious again. And then your awareness is broadened. And then as you become even more aware, um, more becomes obvious. Until eventually what you're seeing that might be obvious because you've opened your mind is not so obvious to other people. Example, um, most of my career, I appeared doing radio and TV shows around the world. Um, and... I, I'm really, I, I, I'm in one area of my life, I'm really disciplined. In every other, I'm a mess. But, but when, it, when it comes to being psychic, looking after being psychic, I'm very disciplined. Every other part is just really needs to be fixed a bit. So, um, as I said, I practice every day. Um, and in that practice, even now today at my age, at least once a month, I go back and look at or listen to two or three readings that I've done, and I pay attention to how I'm saying things to people. I'm, I'm paying attention to what, wh how I'm expressing it, words that I use. I look for how I'm, if, if I'm falling into patterns or routines, or if I'm going for the easy hits, because there's always easy hits, right? Am I just going for the easy hits? Um, am I putting in filler? And, and I'm constantly checking that out and making sure. Because, you know, after about 100,000 readings, um, how many times do you think I've seen a bad relationship? I mean, very many, very many. You bet. So, so what I have to remember, I might have seen it and talked about it 60,000 times or more, but I'm talking to the person in front of me about it with them for the first time. So I'm constantly looking for ways of saying things that are, that's alive and fresh, that, that's not just a routine, uh, just not a pattern. So I, I, I'm constantly reevaluating how I'm doing my work. Um, 
and I and I'm disciplined. So I become more aware. I become aware of what's obvious. So I used to listen to the shows that I would do, and when I would be doing a call, and what, what's also interesting, maybe not, what, what I find interesting about my work, when I do readings, I don't ask questions. Um, when I talk to people on the air, um, when somebody comes up, talks to me on the air, they give me their first name and where they're calling from, and I ask them to think of a question or have it written down, but don't ask it. So, you know, you know, hi, my name is Mary and I'm coming from Omaha. Okay, and then I just go, thanks a lot, Mary, and I just start talking about Mary. When I'm doing a one-on-one -on -one reading, a person sits down in front of me, and I have a routine as to how I get into the session. Um, I, I have a way of focusing. And then, and then I just start off talking about that person. And I talk about that person to them, about them, for about an hour. And it's, it's a straight monologue. I, as, a, it's a, as I say, I very seldom ever ask questions. Um, and usually it's a yes or no. And then at the end of the reading, I ask, you know, people can ask anything that, that, that they wish after that. So um, I don't think I answered your question, but told you an awful lot of other things. Oh, no, but... Do you remember no, what you... Yes, the remember, original question... question Okay. Was, yeah. Uh, was about the spirit con uh, communication. I, oh, and I talked about the practical. Okay. Yeah, I, because I've had a couple of psychics that do spirit communication. Absolutely do. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sure, talk about that. I, I, absolutely. Um, that's a different aspect of being psychic. So um, we humans consist of on four uh, exist on four levels. We're physical. We're emotional. We're mental and spiritual. Now, it's also important to, to, to remember that um, being spiritual doesn't necessarily mean being good. So somebody that does spiritual readings, they might be saying, yes, I'm spiritual and I'm evolved and all, you know, but, but actually uh, being spiritual doesn't mean good. There was a fellow one time, his name was Anton LaVey. And he wrote the book called um, The Satanic Bible. And he had a church called The Satanic Church. And he worshipped the devil. And his followers did. And the devil, whether you like it or not, is spiritual. So being spiritual does not mean being good. It's just another level. Um, when, now, people that do psychic work, often are evolving spiritually, but they're different. They can work hand in hand. I've always been somebody who um, zeroes in or locks onto something and the information comes through me. Um, I'm conscious of what I'm saying, but I do readings very much like I'm speaking with you this evening. I, I, I just let it come through. Now, because I know it's an ad lib, just seeing for the person for the first time and just saying everything, I do have a structure in how I do that. So I focus on physical and mental and emotional and spiritual. And I, and I, put, them, I, I, I put them together. I'm, I'm sorry, I thought I had everything turned off.
Um, so, and, and, and I, and I put, uh, and, and I, and I cover those areas when I do a person's reading. I've never been interested so much in identifying what I was doing or how I was doing it. I was more, I was more interested in just simply doing it and rather not um, paying so much attention to what it was. Uh, when, when I was, again, in my late teens, um, I, I, I participated in experiments at the Toronto Society for Psychical Research. And it was, it was very um, primitive in those days, although it was run by um, a man named Dr. George Owen, and, and he was a professor from Oxford University. Uh, he was a mathematics professor, actually. And he and his wife ran the, the, the uh, Toronto Society for Psychical Research. And he was finance, he would, it, was, it was funded by a Canadian financier who was interested in the psychic research. And I used to, and I participated in some experiments. So one night, the experiment, there was a doctor in the group, and he brought. I I, I didn't know what kind of a doctor he was, um, but it turned out that he was an obstetrician, and he brought to the the class that that group that night a whole bunch of blood spots on an on on uh, a, on blotting paper. Well, you couldn't do that today, but, but in those days, you, you, you could do that. So what, what they wanted me to do, and there was about nine or ten, and they wanted me to hold the blood spots and tell them what I sensed and felt about um, the, the blood spot. And, 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 and that, that also could be called um, psychometry, psychometric. And um, that I also did experiments with the Royal Ontario Museum. They would bring uh, obscure objects and, that I would hold and, and talk about and identify. I, now, re remember, I, I, you know, I only had about a grade eight, completed grade eight, because I was so young on the straights. And, and I had a literacy problem. So I, I, I didn't have a particularly good education. So I would describe things very simplistically because I was thinking simplistically. So there was one night we were doing these blood spots and I really got into it. And I, I, knew, I knew the guy was a doctor. I didn't know what he did. And, and, and I just talked about all his patients and he was writing down. He was like really, you know, freaked out. And he's, cause I had no real conversation with him. And, 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 you know, I would have said hello to him when, when I was doing experiments, but never had a real conversation. So after, you know, all the, the things that I'd said was, you know, checked out and, and compiled. Then the intellectuals started to get into a debate about what was Robert really doing? Was Robert really being uh, um, clairvoyant or was he just being telepathic? And I thought, you know, I thought, piss off. And no, seriously. Well, that wasn't that wasn't the word I thought, but but it's close. Okay, there's other letters in that word. So um, I, I I went over to the blood spots and I grabbed one. I took one from the doctor and I went over to this geek and I said, "Let's just find out if you can if you can only be telepathic. Just check it out." And of course, he couldn't do anything. And 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 I was outraged at at they were 
trying to put a label on something they had no idea what, what, it, what it was. And they were trying to define it and by words. And there are no words. There's, it's simply feeling and it's simply getting in touch with. And it's, it's practice and recognizing what it feels like when you're right and what it feels like when you're wrong. And, you know, if you do 10,000 readings or so, you start getting used to what, what feels right, what feels wrong. So, so um, I still didn't answer your question. It was about the spirit got, communication. Yeah, okay. So, so I often get, um, now there have been times, now I almost always know what I'm saying. But the things that are coming through and the way I speak when I'm doing readings is a little different than what I would do in, in, in real life. But I still have the information in my mind. And if I describe a picture, what I'm really doing is, is putting something, I'm framing it so someone would understand. But what I'm really doing is just, I just have the knowledge, the information. I don't question it. When I'm giving the information, it feels real. And, and, and maybe later on, when I'm thinking about it, um, I think, oh my God, how could you have said that to that person? Like, where did that come from? So there have been times when I've said things to people uh, and in the moment, it was just the very right thing to do. But Afterwards, thinking, or, or there was one time, um, it might have been in Edmonton or it could have been Vancouver. So I was doing a reading for a fellow that, that I'd known for a pretty long time. Um, his his, his mother-in-law introduced me. She would be my client then. Um, so he was coming for a reading, and, um, and I'd done several for him. And he was, him and his wife were, were building an in-law suite for grandma. Grandma didn't want to go to that in-law suite. In fact, grandma knew that she was dying and was ready to die. And grandma was giving out all her things away. And my client who I was doing a reading for was expecting that grandma was going to be moving into the house. And they kind of bamboozled her, but she didn't want to do it. And I told him, I said, you don't understand. Grandma will never live in the base, in, in, in the in-law suite. She doesn't plan to be alive. She's going to leave. And she doesn't want to move out of her home. And he was shocked. And when I said that to him, when I was doing my reading or his reading, it was in my mind, absolutely correct. It was right. In the middle of the night, I woke up from a deep sleep and it was, who the hell are you to say such a thing to a person? How do you know? Like, what's the matter with you? I was horrified that I had said something like that. And it really upset the guy. I was telling my best friend about it the next day. And he said, you're not going to like this, Robert. 
but and, you know, we'd been friends for like 25 years. And you're not going to like this very much, Robert, but I've always suspected that you channel. And now I absolutely know that you do. Um, because when you were saying it, you believed it, you knew it. But when you weren't turned in, you didn't see it or feel it at all. And he said, that's how come I knew. And he said, I've seen that in you so many times over the years. So do I channel? Yeah, probably. But, but, but I, I, I just simply uh, do it. Rather than putting a name to it, I just simply do it. Now, earlier you said there's like this spectrum. Um, some people are really great. Some people have zero. And it's true in everything, in by the way, Chris. What's and that? I said it's true in everything. Yes. And, I, you know, it seems that also there's this collective consciousness that goes along with it um, to where um, we're all just uh, seemingly connected on this energetic or frequency level. Is that something that you would uh, agree with? Yep. I, I have a story to tell about that. Would you, would you like to hear it? Of course. Sure. Okay. So this was, um, I was in my mid-30s. And, and um, I was a guest on a national, uh, a monthly guest on a, uh, on a national TV show in Canada. I was a monthly guest on that show for seven years. Um, anyway, I was, um, I, I was doing, and, and I was as serious doing readings as I am now. In those days, my readings were half an hour. And um, when you're reading, you know, if your reading was at noon, it started at noon. We finished at 929. Um, everything was recorded and there was another person there at, at, at 1230. Um, I did readings that fast, that, that intensely, that accurate. I, I, I can't do them that fast anymore. Um, so there was this woman and I, and, and, um, I, I was working from home in those days. It was before I even had my own, you know, professional office. Um, I was, I was uh, working from home and, and I was working from a sunroom in the sunroom. And, and on my left hand side was where my tape recorder was because he used cassettes in those days. And um, there was a window beside where I sat and my client sits in front of me. And it was a sunroom with, you know, bright light. Um, this woman was tough. I mean, she was tough as nails. Um, she was the type of person that if she liked you, you were lucky. And if she didn't like you, you were unlucky. And, and, and she was one of the coldest people I've ever met. And as I was trying to do her reading, I was struggling because she just would not relax. It, it was like talking to a, a stone wall. Um, and I really struggled. And there were a, a couple of times early, I was getting ready to quit. I just, and while I was struggling to do her reading, right beside me on the window was this really big fly, a huge one, it looked like a horse. Um, you know, it was, it was huge. And the more I struggled with this woman, the louder that that fly got on the window. And it got louder and louder and louder and louder. Then I was frustrated with the loud fly and the tough rod that was in front of me, like, whoa. And, and what I did is I just turned my tape recorder off. I looked at her and I said, excuse me for a moment, got up, walked out of the room, went to the kitchen, came back with a glass piece of paper, put the glass over the fly, put the, put the, you know, the paper under the glass, 
had the fly in the glass. Well, I did that then. It wasn't like I wasn't putting on a show. It's what I did or what I do. And then I went to the door, let the fly out. The fly flew away. I came back, sat down, turned the tape recorder back on, and I started talking. About a minute or so into, the, into me talking, as I was doing her reading, she said, I just would have killed it. And I looked at her and nodded my head and continued doing her reading. At around the 15-minute mark, she said, I've never seen anybody do that before. And I nodded my head. And right at about the 25-minute mark of her reading, she said to me, I think I might try that. And I nodded my head, um, finished her reading, and gave her her cassette. Now, if I would have killed that fly, I never would have been able to connect with her. It never would have happened. And there was a symbiotic connection between the three of us. And the fly was connected. And it was a part of her awareness. And like I said, if I would have hurt that fly, I never would have connected. She never would have had it. She never would have let it happen. That is so, fascinating. Okay, so there, there's, there's, uh, there's an example. Yeah, very cool. And I knew what it was even when I was doing it. That's, that's extremely cool. Um, I'd like to hear about some of your um, success stories when it comes to you've actually been able to heal people and help a coma patient. Uh, I'd love to hear about that. Okay, ixnay on the healing. Um, I'm not really a healer, um, but, but and, and um, through most of my career, I've run away from medical things. I just, I'm, I, um, I, I, I'm just, I, I just don't have the mental awareness to, to, to be, um, uh, to give people medical advice. Right. So having said that, um, what I do have an ability to do is, is to um, make a mental link with someone. Which, which often happens to my close friends. So I know when my friends are in trouble and I know when, I know when um, things are going on with them because I just sense and, and I'm, I, I, I wait for them to contact me, then I give them their answer. Um, and, so, and I'll tell you about one of those that happened just recently. Anyway, um, so I have a client and I can tell you her name because she wrote the book. And the name of the book is called The Perfect Predator. And my client's name is um, Stephanie Strathdee, and she is a professor of epidemiology at a Southern University, a Southern California University, where she's also the, an associate dean of epidemiology. Her husband Tom uh, Patterson is is also a professor of um, experimental psychology at uh, the same university, and he also happens to be a, um, an associate dean. Uh, Stephanie came to me for a reading. She, she's a Toronto girl. She's one of ours that made it to the big time. She came to me just after she, just as she was completing her PhD, and, and I did the first reading for her. Um, and over the years, I, she kept in touch with me, and, and I've done a fair amount of readings. 
And with all my clients, whether I did a reading for you 55 years ago or whether I did a reading for you 55 minutes ago, um, I am as accessible. because um, if you're in trouble and you call, I respond. Um, if I do one reading for you, you're, I, you, you are my client and, I, and, and, and I'm connected to you uh, forever and I, I reach out. So um, Stephanie kept in good close contact. And I did lots of readings for her and Tom. They decided to go away on their, one of their dream vacations. And now two years before they went away on this vacation, I told Tom that he had an illness in his stomach and it was very, very serious. And, and by the way, Tom's a big guy, like six foot five. Um, and, and he's kind of like a uh, Indiana Jones kind of guy. Um, he, he really is like that. Um, but, but he also got older and he gained like a lot of weight, went over 300 pounds. And, and in my reading, uh, a couple of years before them going away, I told him that there was an illness coming and he would be so sick, um, he, would be, he would never be closer to dying without dying. And um, I, 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 and I was direct with him. I, I didn't, you know, I, um, I was straightforward, but not harsh. And, and I also told him that um, two years or um, after he got sick, he would also, he would also lose well over a hundred pounds. And I said to him, there's a possibility that, your destiny actually is to lose a hundred pounds, not necessarily to get sick. So if what I've said to you has scared the hell out of you, then you can take care of your health, lose a hundred pounds and miss the illness. And these words I said to him, Tom, it's up to you. You can do it the hard way or you can do it the easy way. But no matter what, you will live. So two years later, Tom and Stephanie are in Egypt. Um, Tom's having all kinds of problems with his stomach anyway. They're going through the pyramids and uh, it's a beautiful vacation. All of a sudden, Tom gets sick. The problem in his stomach erupts. Um, He gets really, really sick, gets rushed to the hospital in Egypt and goes into... uh, um, uh, um, um, what's it called? Um, uh, critical care, um, in, in critical care. Um, not quite, but on his way to going into a coma. And it's tur- it's, it, it was then found out that he had contact, contracted the most potent superbug known to humankind. And it was 100% um, antibacteria resistant. That meant if you got that that superbug, it meant you die. That's what it meant. Because there was no cure for the superbug. So um, it was when, so Tom got medevaced from Egypt, Cairo, to Germany. And he was in isolation. He was, um, his doctors were seeing him in hazmat suits and, 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 and he was completely and totally isolated. Stephanie contacted me in, when Tom was in Germany 
and I created a mental link with Tom. And I knew what was going on with Tom 24-7. I knew when his vital signs changed. I knew when he was weak and getting ready to let go and die. I knew when he was feeling strong and I knew what he needed. I, I knew what he needed emotionally. Stephanie is a world-renowned epidemiologist, um, famous for her work in HIV um, AIDS uh, research. When she called me, I, I told her that I believed that Tom would live. And I had meetings with Stephanie every day on Skype for about six months. And Stephanie decided that she was going to find the cure for this disease and she was going to save her husband's life. And I told her that she could. And she went on and I told her that she had all the skills, all the awareness and all the experience and she could find the cure. She went on this research and she found the cure. And scientists and um, around the world participated in this, in this um, experiment. And um, now, like I, I'm not the star of the story. I, my work, and, and I, I was on a show with Tom and Stephanie just a little while ago and they were talking. Um, if I had not been connected to Tom um, with that mental link, he would have died on three different occasions uh, when he was in a coma. And he also, uh, and, and in the book, Tom, Tom talks about what he was experiencing when he was in a coma. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. So Stephanie would, would bounce things off me. Now, now um, I was very hesitant to do this. And I was afraid that I was going to give wrong information and kill Tom. And, and incidentally, everybody that was involved in the project, his doctors, everybody was afraid that they were going to kill Tom. That was one of the big fears. Um, and and um, so Stephanie explained to me that I was not responsible because my role, very simply, was to give her information so that she could compare my information with other experts and then make her choice. And that it was very important to, to that I say everything absolutely the way I saw it and not hold back any, any um, not hold back. And Stephanie has um, a memory like Sheldon Cooper, by the way. She's got a photo. And every day uh, I'd give her a report on what I felt was going on with Tom. And then she would tell me, go over what I had told her the day before. And every day I was getting critiqued. And there were times when I was um, um, three days ahead of, of the doctors in what, in, in, in what was going on with Tom. Now, I didn't describe it with medical terms because I didn't have that skill. But I saw or sensed where the organs were. I saw what the, I had an idea or, 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 what, or what the super virus was, what it looked, the super bug looked like. I, I, I had a sense of it. I, I felt its life. I felt the energy of it. Uh, it, it was alive. It was alive. Um, and um, it was just eating Tom. It didn't know it was Tom. It was just surviving. It, had nothing. it didn't even know about Tom. 
There was no awareness there. It was just a lie, but it was an eating machine. So um, Stephanie had done this research and she narrowed it down to three different treatments or ways. And she was running them by me. And she said, uh, okay, here are the three. And she then tells me about the first one. And she says, it's phages and, and I said, that's the one. And she said, well, let me tell you about it. I said, no, that's the one. And she said, okay, let me tell you about it. And I said, Stephanie, that's the one. And she said, yeah, but there's two others. And I said, okay, I'll humor you. And so she told me about the first one and then the other two. And I said, the first one. And what she discovered was something called, now, honestly, I'm not kidding you. It's in the book. It's recorded. And, and, and she won an award for being one of the uh, leading uh, women scientists in the world. She got an award from uh, People Magazine or, or Time Magazine, you know, for this research. So what she discovered was something called phages. Phages. Phages is from sewer water. And phages are, are excrement. And the theory goes, the healthy bacteria attacks the unhealthy bacteria and eats it and kills it. That's the theory. During the 1920s and 1930s, there were all kinds of experiments in Russia um, with, with um, treating people with illnesses in lower organs, you know, so, so uh, bowel, um, lower intestines, um, that area. And what they were doing was inject, honestly, I'm kidding, in, in injecting um, raw stool into sick people's, uh, um, yeah, I know, I know, I know, like raw stool in, 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 in um, anally, uh, um, and, and they were getting some success. Then penicillin got invented. Then people had the choice of, you know, having a turd or a pill, and the pill won out. So, so research, you know, it might make sense, right? So research, research stopped in, the, in that area, and then everybody got treated with, 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 with penicillin. But now we flip forward in time, and now all these um, antibiotics, um, all these bugs and, and, and um, uh, viruses are anti, becoming antibiotic-resistant. Henceforth, the superbugs. So Stephanie did research, um, and it turns out that there's been a lot of activity in um, phage research. Oh, and, and, and when Stephanie said to me, why did you think phages would be the right one? And I said, because I didn't know anything about this shit. I honestly did not know about this shit. I said to her, it reminds me of Pac-Man. And what it does is it looks like these little Pac-Man are going after the superbug and killing it and eating it, or eating it and killing it and eating it. And she said, that's exactly what it does. How did you know that? And I'm kind of like cocky. I said, well, it's because I'm psychic. And, and, I, and I do stuff like that, you know, and I'm usually going, I don't know how I did that. I just know it. Okay, so, so um, um, it turns out that, that um, 
there were laboratories around the world that have been doing research on phage therapy, including the United States Navy, the United States Army, and they got involved and they were interested in the phages because no one, a human had never been treated with phages before. The FDA knew about phages and were, were, were waiting for a liver dye case where they would be treated because they were also interested in what would happen if somebody were treated with turds and, and they were waiting for somebody that was going to die. And Tom was the one. And it took a couple of months to get all the approval and different companies donated their phages and Tom had withered away. He, he was so, he was hours from dying. Um, and he was injected with phages. And I was linked to this guy and nobody knew. And I also didn't know if they, in fact, if they, if they would have injected him. I, I, I wasn't, I didn't know if it would, if he would, if it would kill him or not. Nobody knew because a human had never been injected that way. So Tom was going to die anyway. So they injected him. And um, about an hour, hour and a half later, I, I felt Tom's um, vital signs get stronger. And then an hour later, two hours later, doctors saw it. Then they injected him again. And then, and then um, they got stronger. And then they injected him a third time. The next morning when Stephanie went to see Tom, um, she went over to his bed, you know, and she you know, said, sweetheart. And he opened his eyes and looked at her and spoke to her. And he'd been in a coma for six months. Well, he lived. And he was the first person ever to be treated with phages. And, and, it, now, and, it, and it changes the way medicine is treating uh, people with uh, being infected by super virus. I also told Stephanie when we were going through this, now, now I, I'm telling you, I, I'm not the star. There, there, Stephanie, Tom, there were a lot of people that put more um, conscious effort. Now, now I, I, I was linked to Tom 24-7. Um, I, I was there when he needed me. I, I recognized when he was unconscious what he needed and he didn't get it, he would die. Um, but there were many other times. Tom went into septic shock seven times uh, while he was in coma, seven times. Um, so so um, anyway, I, I just got lost in all that. Um, um, but that's an absolutely fascinating story, how you could be connected to him and kind of guide everyone, you know, the direction his health and everything was going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I lived it 24-7, um, excuse me, for almost a year. Um, I'd never quite done anything like that. Although I've had experience in doing some things like that, uh, I'd never done anything so serious. Um, I, I also did things I'd never really done before. Well, I did, but I didn't, that I hadn't, hadn't. Like, like for example, um, sending healing energy. 
Okay, well, I, I, I did that. How about sending healing energy to somebody in a coma 24-7 that I was like a human IV drip? And, and I was sending energy to Tom all the time. And I also could tell how he was doing by the amount of energy that was being drained. So I was going through all this and, and there was nobody else doing this weird stuff, you know, you know just me. Um, and, and, and I was starting to give out. Like I, I, I was really starting to, to get weak because um, Tom was draining so much. Um, Stephanie talked to me about a guy named Martin. And I, I'm sorry, Martin, I forget your last name, but I'll remember it. Um, so Martin is a healer. Martin's in, um, uh, in, in, in California. And he had done some work with Tom previously. I didn't know who Martin was. I, you know, as you can see, I can't remember, remember the guy's last name. But, but, I, but I knew about him. Um, Stephanie asked me, would it be all right if, if, if he came aboard? And I said, oh, sure. Like I, I need, and I sensed, and I kind of sensed where he was coming from. And I said, yeah, sure, he, he would work. So a couple of days later, when I was having my daily meeting with, with, with Stephanie, um, I was, we were talking, and all of a sudden I said, what was that? What was that? Stephanie, what was that? And she said, what? And I said, write, it, write the time down. Something really significant just happened around Tom. And, and, and Stephanie thought that I was telling her Tom died. And, and, and what, what had happened with me was, was all of a sudden, the heavy weight that, that I'd been carrying, it, 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 was, it was like it had been released. And all of a sudden, I felt relaxed. And all of a sudden, um, I started getting charged up. So Stephanie wrote the time down, and then later just happened to have called um, uh, Martin. And Stephanie said, um, when did, did you connect with Tom today? And, 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 and he said, yeah, I did. And she said, what time? And it was the exact time that I said, what was that? And that was the very first time I actually met somebody psychically and we were doing the same job. And, and, and incidentally, he sensed me as well. He, he knew that I'd been there. Now, now this guy, Martin, um, now, now my energy is, is that I can, I can maintain that energy like, like um, an energy flow for a really long time as an endurance but it's not huge. Now, Martin, Martin, his energy, the way it comes out is like standing in front of um, uh, uh, a water cannon. It goes, boom. It was, you know, it's, it's really, it's just really that huge, the energy that comes through. And, and that's what I was feeling. And you know what? Before that time, I never really believed that happened. I used to talk to people and they say, oh, yeah, I made this connection. You're so full of crap. Give me a break, you know. And then all of a sudden, here I'm doing it. I had never met anybody like that, that way. So, and Martin had a big part of, 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 of helping uh, with Tom. He, did, he wasn't involved with as much time. You know, he came in to bring the water cannons, you know, to do blasts, um, and, and um, he was a big help also. He just got a small mention in the book. So um, 
that's how Tom lived. That is a fascinating story. That's yeah. absolutely amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, but we have a few minutes left. Um, I have one that's more. That's all. That's it. That's all. I, I got a million stories. I'm just getting started, man. Oh, well, we'll have to have you back <laughs> on then. But this one's a this one's kind of a big one. Um, now, of course, we have the presidential election. I'm not going to ask you who you think will be president. Thank you. But I want to know there is this, I believe, of overall feeling of uncertainty about our future. Can uh, I? Can I make? St- I would like to talk about that with you. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Is there seems All like, right. you know, everyone is kind of uncertain, not sure what's going to happen. Uh, there's so much. I'm very going clear. On. I am very clear what's going to be happening um, with, with the United States. I've, I've thought about it. I've, I've talked about it and, and, and I'd like to share it with you. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, now, um, my country um, is, is north of yours. And we live every day of our life in safety because of the United States. And we owe our safety and security to your country. Um, and we're protected. And, and I am incredibly grateful. We have the longest border, unprotected border in history or in the world. And we are the closest of friends, even though you don't talk about us a lot, we're the closest of friends. And we're great trading partners, you and us, or us and you. America is a great country. America isn't going to be great again. America is great right now. What's going on right now with America is issues that should have been sorted out a hundred years ago haven't been. And what's going on right now is the balancing of those things that haven't been properly dealt with. Another way to say it, while it might look like chaos and disruption, another way to see it is cleansing and healing. America is great and is going to continue to be great. And over the next few years, America will be gaining back its reputation. It had, um, say, before 2015. Um, And, but this needed to be done to do the cleansing. It doesn't matter who wins this election. What is going to happen is that America is going to be building things again. America is going to be selling things again. And America is going to be proudly ruling the world again. And it won't take that much. Wow, I mean, you're, that's the best news I've heard about uh, any predictions for the future yet. So, um, you know, that makes me feel good. Now, now there's got to be some stuff done about um, the, 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 the coronavirus. Um, and that's going to be a plague um, for your country 
um, for a good part of 2021. And it is going to take a lot of work, um, more work than um, with uh, than other countries in the world now to take control of the pandemic. You guys are going to have to do more work and and work harder at it uh, because you got a bigger infection. I see. But it'll happen. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Well, that is a really great outlook. And, uh, you know, Although a lot of people are worried, you know, I do, I do try to stay optimistic about everything. And although I think we may see some turmoil, I think in the end, we will come out better, just like you said. Yes. Um, one of the things that, um, now, the foundations, so we in Canada, while, while we have similar similar values, we also are different. And we're different because of the way our nations uh, uh, were born. Canada, of all the Americas, up until just a little while ago, we gained our independence by negotiation. And every other country in both North and South America gained their independence by uh, civil war. So we have a different mentality because our foundation is we negotiated to get it rather than fight for it. Um, and, and, you know, you've got a powerful nation and you, you guys did a lot of fighting in the early days. And, and those, he, those wounds have not been healed. Right. That's very understandable. Well, Robert, I want, I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. That was fascinating information. And like you said, we got so much more to get to, so we'll have to have you back on sometime. Please. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so before you head out, let everyone know if they're interested in finding out more. You about can you. contact me on my website or my email. Um, you can contact me at rlmreadyou.com, rlmreadyou.com. Uh, um, that's my website. And um, it'll give you information how to get in touch with me. And I do readings. I do pretty good readings. That sounds great. Well, Robert, yeah. thank you again. You have an excellent night, excellent night. And everyone else, we'll see you next time.